Hello, Hal and Michael. How are you? Thanks for having us. Uh, thanks for showing up. Let me introduce this. I'm Robert Wright, uh, publisher of the Non-Zero Newsletter. This is a Non-Zero podcast. And I normally introduce my guests, but since there are two of you, uh, I'd like you to introduce yourself so the people who are just listening on audio and not watching this will uh, will start to associate your, your voices with your names. I will say beforehand that what we're going to discuss is your new book, Danger Zone, The Coming Conflict with China, which you've co-authored. So, uh, Michael, you want to just say a couple words about yourself? Sure. Yeah, I'm a professor at Tufts in the political science department and a non-resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute down in D.C. And most of my research looks at uh, shifts in the balance of power with a special focus on the U.S. And, and Chinese power balance. And your last name is Beckley, correct? Yes. Okay. Hal? Hi, I'm Hal Brands. I uh, am a professor at Johns Hopkins SICE. I'm a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, and I write a weekly column on national security for Bloomberg Opinion. All right. Thank you. So, uh, why don't we talk about the book? Very interesting book, uh, because in part um, it is, unless you object to this label, it's it's a it's a China hawk book, right? You would call yourselves China hawks. That's yeah. probably fair. Yeah, re reluctant hawks, but yeah, hawks. Oh well, aren't they all? Uh, the um, but it's different. It's different from uh, a lot of China hawk arguments. And let me uh, give you my understanding of how it differs. And in the course of that, characterize your argument, and maybe get things wrong, and then I'll give you a chance to correct me and respond. But uh, it seems to me that, that kind of the traditional China hawk argument has been, you know, kind of. China's on the march, more and more powerful economically, militarily, encircling the world with this Belt and Road Initiative, uh, and it has malicious intent and is a threat to our way of life and so must be stopped. You two, I think, kind of hang on to the part about malicious intent and threat to our way of life. Correct me if I'm wrong about that. But, but the other part of your argument is almost the opposite. It's like, uh, China actually has kind of passed its peak. It faces demographic problems. It faces economic problems. This Belt and Road thing's not working out so well. Uh, it, it, it's, its regional assertiveness is getting put more and more pushback. So it's more and more strategically encircled. And so whereas the traditional argument is we must do something to contain China because it's on the march, you say we must do something to contain China because it's not because you say it's exactly powers like this that are kind of declining, getting insecure about it, about their status, feeling threatened, that are most likely to lash out dangerously. And so, and we, we have to stop that. And you have a pretty assertive approach to stopping it, I would say. Is that all more or less fair? I, I think that's fair. I mean, I think the kind of the conventional wisdom is that China is 10 feet tall and you should be terrified. And our argument is that China is not 10 feet tall and you should be terrified uh, because it is uh, a country that it faces more and more problems, strategic, economic, political, uh, which are going to make it hard for Xi Jinping's government to achieve the very lofty ambitions it has set out over the long term. But in the near term, China actually has a pretty attractive window of opportunity, not least militarily in the Western Pacific. And it will be more tempted to use that window of opportunity to jump through it precisely because 
uh, its leaders are going to recognize that it faces strong headwinds over the long term. Okay. Michael, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, we we just think China's become the most dangerous kind of country because it's strong and ambitious enough to upend the international order, but for various reasons, a slowing economy, uh, a population that's about to age and die off in unprecedented numbers, uh, encirclement by a pack of powerful democracies. We just think that we worry that China's leaders are feeling like their time is is running out to remake the world. And that's just very scary because it was the peaking powers in history that really caused most of the trouble, whether it's Germany in 1914, Japan in 1941. I would even, we would even argue that Russia today, uh, you know, bears some of this pattern out. And so when you match that with where China seems to have been headed over the last decade, it already seems to be inching its way down this nasty historical path, just becoming exponentially more repressive at home and aggressive abroad. And we just worry it's going to it's going to be poised to do what past peaking powers did, which is rush through these near term windows of opportunity before this longer term window of vulnerability opens wide. And we think this could play out in a few ways. It could obviously be an assault on Taiwan. Um, it could also be this push to basically create an economic empire across the global south or to engage in political warfare, this sort of concerted effort to destabilize democracies and prop up autocrats around the world. And so we then come up with a strategy that tries to blunt uh, this potential surge of, of Chinese aggression. Okay, what was the second of those three again? Can you spell that out a little uh, carving bit? Carving out an economic empire across the global south, basically using ch big Chinese loans to get countries hooked on Chinese finance, where they are then compelled to buy Chinese products and services, employ Chinese workers to build Chinese smart city systems, and then send all the data back to Beijing and basically countries become economically beholden to China. And that allows China to manipulate their both domestic and foreign policies so that they tow the CCP line. Okay. So there's a lot there. I think I'd like to, for the time being, put, uh, put Taiwan off in a kind of a corner to visit later, because it does seem to me distinctive. You know, it, it, it's, uh, there clearly is, is a threat that China could, could invade Taiwan, but the, the motivation would have to do with this kind of particular historical connection to Taiwan. It considers Taiwan part of China. And in fact, we don't even recognize Taiwan as a, a sovereign country. Most of the world doesn't. So, so in other words, I, I, I doubt you would, you would see an invasion of Taiwan as a, as a harbinger of larger territorial aspirations. In other words, you're not thinking like, well, oh, then South Korea, then Japan, there, it's not the kind of argument people were making about Putin and Ukraine, right? Am I right about that? Um, to, to some extent, although I would.